0: Well, howdy and hello, everybody. I am Wyatt Marchant, and we and you're listening to Sibylla Creek Conversations. I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing good. Is this uh, hello and howdy? Is this uh, is this the greeting now? Howdy and hello. Yeah. Howdy and hello. E- ever since I think the first
0: time I ever did announcements on the stage, that just started. Yeah, that's just my thing. He just started. Yeah, it just sounds more chipper, and anything I can do to sound more chipper, I need to implement. <laughs>
1: more chipper a more chipper wyatt
0: yes Uh, if you've listened to any of the episodes before you'll know that sounding enthusiastic is not my strong point (laughs) well you be you wyatt oh i'll be me that's a great line of advice you be you but but yeah so i just started saying it all right
1: well that's that's our uh that's our unique introduction
0: yeah it's like whenever people make fun of you for saying, all right, gang, yeah, or what are we praying for? You want to know?
1: Maybe uh, maybe someday we'll have merch and we'll have a howdy and hello shirt. We should. That'd actually be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for it. And then we'll have another shirt that says something about design, because you and I, we always come back to the whole concept of design. That's
0: true. That's true. Uh,
1: but we probably probably need to get... More of a following to really merit producing merch, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's just we'll we'll go to the video production as our next step. Oh, is that the next step up? Yeah, yeah. I really want to do that. Do
1: you think the world's ready to actually like see the two of us do this?
0: You know, they don't have to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so that's on them. Yeah, but yeah, that's why I do want to do that soon. Um, but anyways
1: that's interesting before you before you head off into our topic of the day my my impression of a podcast is the convenience to it is that you can listen to it while you're doing other things like driving or working out so i'm really intrigued that the uh you know video format of a podcast is as popular as it is and i know it is popular But it just seems like that's kind of contrary to the original purpose of a podcast was kind of listen on the go. Yeah. But if you're having or feeling compelled to watch it, then you're generally probably not multitasking, or maybe that's just me. I I don't like to be watching something while I'm doing something else because then I, I tend to not be able to track or follow what it is that i'm quote unquote watching
0: it depends on the work like there's a lot of my work that's just scheduling and very monotonous and doesn't require very much brain power right and so right underneath my computer screen i'll set up my ipad or phone and i'll have a video podcast going there oh okay yeah so i watch it but even if i can just turn occasionally to it and see the people speaking to me that adds just like uh it allows people to get to know you better. And so the level of trust and familiarity and um, just the desire to to actually listen. And you can also tell if someone, at least I can eat more easily tell if someone's acting, if I can see them. And so, oh, if this person's just putting on an act, or if they don't really think what they're saying is true or whatever. You kind of pick up on the body language. It is definitely also, like, because the only people who have, well, I take that back. My grandpa did want video, but... um, most people who've, who watch podcasts are probably younger, if I had to yeah. guess, um, particularly on YouTube. And YouTube is, like, the place to be. It's the, by far – it is the second most trafficked, trafficked site, like, every
1: year. Really? Yeah. And well, you so, know, it's interesting. I, I wasn't necessarily dragging my feet about the idea of us doing a podcast. Um, I guess I was just kind of warming up to the idea after you had initially proposed it but um i don't listen to a lot of podcasts and part of the reason is i literally live two minutes from work so i'm not the guy who's getting in the car for 20 30 minute commute in the morning to where i would want to occupy my mind with content like a podcast so um i just haven't ever really had a use for them i have friends who when they uh work out um particularly my triathlon friends who you know they're going on the long bike ride or the long run and they're listening to something that they they always say do you listen to music or you listen to a podcast when you run and i go no i don't i don't know it's it's not a an appealing way to spend that time mm. so um yeah so I'm, I'm still trying to figure out some of how all this podcasting stuff works it's really interesting because it's like,
0: so it makes sense that you can't listen while you're working because most of your work is very, like, deep thought intensive. Right. And so, like, whenever I'm writing something, I can't. Okay. I can't listen to something. Um, but, again, in that monotonous work, so, like, for instance, uh, Allie, my fiancé, is an accountant, and she listens to stuff all day long. Oh, really? Even in the office. Okay. Um, But also whenever I'm, you know mowing the lawn in order to not hate myself for however long that takes. I enga- I, I join a discussion on something. So I'm sitting out there on the lawn mower like cracking up or thinking really deeply about something or something like that. Um, but it also gets in that thing. It's like, well, people listen to stuff too much. Sometimes I'm always listening to something. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, when I lay down to go to sleep, my mind goes crazy because I never actually turn anything off to just sit and think. So then all the things that I wanted to think about Well, now now I'm going to think about those things. And two hours later, it's 2 a.m. and I haven't fallen asleep yet.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting because I traffic in so much content. I'm either, you know, creating it or I'm consuming it as a part of the creation process that when I'm cutting the grass, I don't want any more content. I just want to sort of shut down, veg out, going back and forth in my lawn and making it look the best I can. So... That's just interesting, just different ways that people...
0: Well, you're a dad, and so you can put the words veg out and mowing the lawn in the same sentence. <laughs> Did
1: that sound very dad-like?
0: Yes, because only dads enjoy doing that.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, now I add the variable that I just turned 60, so well, like I've go. now been ushered into a whole other era that who knows what I'm going to start doing.
0: When do you get the senior discount at Denny's? <laughs>
1: Probably, probably in a year or two. It's
0: probably up there. Dean will tell you. My grandpa, he'll tell you. Look, they always every place has a discount. You just got to ask for it. So if ask. you can throw your pride away, you'll get that discount.
1: Dean is awesome. Yes. I love to visit with your grandpa at church. He's a good guy. Yeah,
0: awesome man. Awesome man. So
1: what are you? What are we talking about today?
0: Today we are going to talk about um, just this question that I think uh, is. Uh, timely because you have started this series called Pay it forward which is all about leading the next generation and um, it might be something that is on all some people's minds definitely my own but it's it's the question of is the church failing young people mm. is the church failing young people um, and so i I thought that I would pose that question to you and we could just talk about it back and forth but I think anybody observing the church and the church culture and, and I guess just the people in it um, over the past 20 or so years can see that there's been a decline both in overall church attendance and all, as well as um, young generation participation. Mm -hmm. Um, And the decline has been sharp. So like weekly church attendance gone down 36% since 1993 Um, and from I guess the younger generations with this data, is like millennials went down pretty drastically. Same with Generation Z. Um, though in the past three years since the pandemic, there's been a little uptick, surprisingly. Right. Uh, or not surprisingly. But um, the biggest thing, it's like, well, I came from student ministry. Um, and the number of young adults who drop out of the church after they graduate high school has gone up to like 66%. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Uh, And that's at least for a year. Um, So I just saw it as a problem and thought that it would be an interesting conversation.
1: Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about it.
0: So um, I guess you just answer the question. We'll just start there. Do you think the church is failing young people?
1: The way I would answer that is twofold. The church as Jesus imagined it is not failing young people because one, he would not have created or is not capable of creating something that would fail. So, the essence, the spirit, the heartbeat of what Jesus dreamed for the church and and instituted, if you will, that's probably the, uh, the, the word that gets gets us in trouble as far as young people, but. What he created in the church and its design um, is not failing young people. What's failing young people is what we as human beings have done with the church, and we've institutionalized it, and we've made it formal, and we've attached all these traditions, and naturally there's any number of kind of selfish or um, human sort of uh attachments that we've we've created to the church and those by nature are always going to leave some people lacking or in in this discussion leaving an entire generation lacking but what's interesting is there's always a younger generation that finds the existing institutions of life lacking Mm -hmm. so you go back to when i was a kid uh late 70s early 80s i'm i'm a teenager uh middle schooler high schooler and guess what i hated church when every sunday went a couple times a week actually and i didn't like it because it was boring i mean that was the way you said it is oh that's so boring It was irrelevant, didn't really um, apply to my life as I understood it. Uh, I had lots of critiques of the church and I had a lot of friends who shared that same critique. But you could have gone back 20 years earlier than that and there had been another generation. I mean, we, we know that in the 60s there was quite a turn in society and there were a lot of young people who were teenagers in the 60s. And they were crying about a lot of institutions. They were complaining about a lot of institutions, government, education, all sorts of things that weren't working for them. And and the church, because the church is people, the church wouldn't be an exception to that rule. So it's interesting to me is to try to, dig down, drill down into what did Jesus intend the church to be? How was it intended to um, behave? And what was it intended to provide? And I think the closer you get back to that, you're going to find that it's not disappointing or irrelevant to any generation. But it's what we do with it throughout time that it becomes um, either lifeless or uh, irrelevant would be a word, unhelpful, Um, because it works for the generation that, you know, kind of receives the church and, and then they carry it on. Well, then they make it like them, and they make it for their needs, and they make it for their interests, and that works for 30, 40, 50 years. And then... You have these young people coming in, and every, every new generation has a new set of beliefs or an iteration of former beliefs. They're thinking about it differently. They have a different set of expectations, different set of attitudes. And so they come into what's 30 and 40 and 50 years old as a you know institution and a tradition. They walk into it. They have these different things that they want, and they go, hey, I don't like this. Um, I think we're coming, I I think we're in the middle of a, we're in some stage of a transition as far as generations right now as it relates to the church. And so you have a generation where it's largely about services, like these services that you attend. That's been, you know, for the last 50, 60, 70 years, it's just kind of this liturgy, and even in the more uh, contemporary church, there's a There's a format, the liturgy, if you will. And so I think the younger generation is experiencing that and they want something, They're, they're longing for something different than sitting in rows staring at the back of somebody's head listening to one guy talk. And so they're wanting something much more interactive. They're wanting something much more personal. We're seeing lots of reasons to believe they're looking for something much more you know justice oriented and causal kind of you know ra- uh, things to rally around and that's that's not the church of the last 30 40 50 years and so they're they're finding themselves disappointed with it that is my my take on that yeah so is the church failing yes but when we talk about church what what are we talking about we're largely talking about what human beings have created from the original design of community and connection and care compassion um, and even even the content is probably handled differently than it was intended by jesus
0: Mm. so i guess more specifically then what do you think the current or i guess um the iteration of the, let's just say, American church of the past 40, 50, 60 years, what part of that, because I would say that, okay, I'll, I'll just finish my question. What part of the current or church of the past 40, 50 years do you think young people are finding less attractive or or less relevant? Um, and I asked that question just because I would say that, um, well, where's I going with that? Just answer the question. Maybe just I'll answer the, the question, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go. We'll just start with that, and I'll try to think of the other thing.
1: Okay, so I, I, my only reference is some conversations I've either had with young people or conversations I've had with the parents of young people who have reported, "Yeah, my kids just not connecting with church." And what I, I think there's two things that I'm hearing. One is that church of the last 50 years or so, um, it has this kind of service format, this f- whether that's a formal you know, high church kind of format or a contemporary uh, format, something a little less structured and, and um, traditional in nature, but still every much has become a tradition. Um, I think young people are just saying, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't like the show. I don't like to sit and listen. I'm wanting to, rather than sit in rows, I'd rather sit in a circle with some people and have discussion and interact and kind of debate and question and and converse as an experience, you know, kind of a spiritual experience. And so they sit in the, the pews or the seats and all the show is done up front. Here's the worship leader with the worship band and here's the preacher and here's the announcements and what other elements there are and they just largely feel like spectators and i what i'm hearing from primarily from parents is that my kids just looking for something much more interactive and then the second i think the second thing that's happening is the last 40 or 50 years the content has been largely a download uh, here's the preacher's interpretation and, and viewpoint, and he downloads what he understands or believes, and everybody sits and listens. And I think a younger generation's going, I want to ask questions. I want to push back. I don't believe that. Can you then address my, ca- my concerns or my issues with what you just said? Uh, they live in a very interactive world when you look at, you know, social media is still a very s- interactive world because you, you know, somebody makes a post and then people jump into the thread and give their perspective and viewpoint. And then the next thing you know, there's pushback to that and it, this whole thread evolves. And so I think a younger generation is going, I want to be in more of a conversation than a presentation. Um, and again, those are some of the young people I'm talking to and some of the parents who are reporting this sort of thing to me. And so if, if it's real kind of presentation-like and kind of a, a spectator sport, and if it's content download instead of an interactive kind of conversation, a really kind of vibrant, passionate exchange of ideas between everybody that's in the room... Then naturally, a younger person is going to sit back and go, "Boring, I don't like this." And once that once that young person has the capacity or the ability to um, either decide for themselves whether they're going to church or they now have a vehicle, they have their license, and so they can make other choices about what to do. Then what we're finding is they're not choosing to drive to church on a Sunday. Because they've decided it's it's not working for them. Yeah, and I think that's my understanding of what we're a bit of why we're seeing the exodus that we do. They just it doesn't appeal to them.
0: Yeah, and I I think that even my own experience can probably support that to some degree. Because granted, I've since middle school have been coming to church, and whenever I became a Christian, I kind of took a deep dive. I'm very content oriented, and so whenever I sit down and listen to a sermon, if there isn't something very drawing about it from the, uh, not even from the get-go, but I guess maybe the speaker. I listen to the speaker. But as soon as he starts to present, he or she starts to present, whoever the speaker is, starts to present an idea, in the past, I would would know enough to know what he's going to speak about Mm -hmm. and essentially just stop listening. Because I'm just like, I know exactly where this is going.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And so the presentation... I was like, oh, we have 40 minutes left of this presentation.
1: It was very predictable.
0: Yeah, it was very predictable. Or I was just being prideful and thinking that I knew, well, why listen? I know where it's going, which I'm sure was a part of it. And then another thing is I'm also very conversation heavy, and I would say even in my experience in student ministry and my friends, they certainly prefer a conversation, which kind of going back to YouTube and watching podcasts Watching allows you to feel more like you're a part of the part of the conversation, right. and it's like so those three hour long conversations on YouTube that are posted, people will listen to the entire thing because they they kind of feel like they're a part of it, mm-hmm. um, and so for that to be, whoever these young people you were talking to, their or their parents kind of take on it is is somewhat unsurprising to me.
1: Yeah, it, there's this other uh, dimension to this that. Um I find interesting, and I get it. I really do um and i'll try to explain it in a way that's understandable. The church of the last the evangelical church of the last fifty years um there's been a real commitment to a preaching of the scriptures or you know an understanding of the scriptures and it's it seems like a lot of that teaching has been about understanding the scriptures in depth in relationship to its historical situation. So if I'm going to study the book of First Corinthians, or if the preacher is going to do a series on First Corinthians, then we are going to literally deep dive down into 1st century Corinth, and we are going to understand what these Greek words meant and what the political situation was so it was very first century focused and people ate that up this generate this older generation that to them felt like a uh, deep that you know that gets called somebody was feeding me because yeah. they're really challenging me in the depths of an understanding of the scriptures and again i, I I want to get myself in trouble here to stereotype, but you got this younger generation and a lot to do with education, a lot to do with social media, a lot to do with the number of influences in their life that push it. Their interest is in like the real world, their world, uh, contemporary society, ideologies, and um, injustices, and uh compassion and care they they have this very activistic sort of mentality so they're wanting to come to church they don't want to camp out in the first century corinth they're open to whatever the principles of first century you know scripture to the first century corinthians might have meant but you better you better apply it you better show me how it works In my very real life uh, scenarios of everything from gender ideology to sexual orientation to, you know, uh, smoking marijuana to going to work for the, you know, the man and not. I mean, just a host of very kind of passion oriented, contemporary relevant topics. They want that show me. How the scriptures relate to that. And so if they're slipping into the church that's still, you know, going off of the, you know, deep dive into biblical context model for preaching, then they're generally walking away feeling um, unenergized. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Um, And it's interesting, too. I was just learning this the other day. You were talking about how it was very. Uh, the previous generation or the previous iteration of the church was very focused on an understanding of the scriptures. And I was reading the other day up on YouTube, and one of the most frequently asked questions that's in the realm of Christianity is how to read the Bible. Yeah. How do I read the Bible on on my own? And it's like, wow, you have this iteration of the church that focused so heavily on that, but nobody knows how to do it themselves. (laughs) Yeah and now you have this next generation my generation of people younger who have this hunger for like basics they're like okay i don't i don't know how i'm supposed to go about doing this myself mm-hmm. and i don't like doing it sitting in a row of chairs or in a pews right like you were saying found that very interesting and
1: yeah it it, it, it creates an interesting tension because The truth of the matter is, for a young person to be able uh, to encounter their culture, their society, the realities of their world, as a Christ follower in a devoted kind of sense, in order to do that successfully, you have to have a firm and uh, deep understanding of the scriptures. And so what we're seeing is if you lack a deep understanding of the scriptures, then your response to the culture, to the society, and to these you know, kind of uh, dicey uh, social issues, your response is often misdirected or misinformed because you don't really understand the scriptures. You've only maybe heard little bits and pieces of it you've selected the ones that best fit not a biblical ideology but your ideology yeah and so then you end off you end up headed off in places that really jesus didn't invite us into that wasn't his call in our life and the one that the one that i'm seeing these days that's just so huge is you know well god is love and jesus is loving and therefore If we're going to be like Jesus, loving, and we're going to love everybody like God loves everybody, then what that means is anything goes, no matter what somebody's choosing to believe or how they're choosing to live because God loves them, then I'm just going to love and accept and affirm and applaud their choice of life. And that's not the call of Jesus. It's, It's... just inconsistent because if that choice of life is sinful as God describes it, then yes, I love that person, but my heart's got to break for the brokenness in their soul that's leading them to this life of choice. And I, as a Christian, I have to be able to show them that as a human being, I love them because God loves them too, and I want to love them like God loves them. But I also have to have the courage and the confidence to be able to say, "But the choices that you're making, they are not healthy. They are not helpful to your life or your eternity." And I have to have the courage to say that. That that's just not happening nowadays. Yeah, and um, that's a generation that they have that kind of activistic mindset but they don't have the biblical foundation around which their energies to be directed properly. And
0: here I guess here's my take on that because I completely agree. I think that the way that the church is responding in that whole well God is love and it's it's just an acceptance, kindness, love everyone despite anything don't lead them towards any type of truth. I just I just see the, the churches that are doing that now, I think they learned that from the previous iteration of yeah. the church. Because, I mean, perhaps, okay, I've been reading um, The Crucified Life by A.W. Tozer. Yeah. Is it Tozer or Towser? Tozer. Okay.
1: That's the way I've always heard it. Yeah. So.
0: I've, I've, there's not a W. I don't even know why to ask. But um, <laughs> he, he talks a lot about, what well, he was mentioning Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he, how Bonhoeffer was talking about Uh, this idea of cheap grace. And then Tozer was kind of going, and this is, he's writing in the late forties or fifties, early fifties. And Tozer's just going off on the current church about how all they're doing is talking about grace. And it's like, okay, if we were back then, we'd be like, wow, this place is like really traditionalist kind of fundamentalist, very uh, rule heavy. But back then he was looking at it saying, no, it's, it's too soft. It's not, yeah. it's not leading them in any direction and so I think it's just got consecutively worse as time gone has gone on but we just view it as being well well now the church is doing this new thing of well God's only love it's like well no this has been a problem I think for a long time because it doesn't it's not well cheap grace is is easy to give away because you didn't pay very much for it right and so um he told us to strive after costly grace what do you what do you think about any of that
1: well, it's interesting that that's not a new discussion to the forties. Yeah, you go all back to the Book of Romans, and you go back to the Book of uh, like Galatians. The the early church was was struggling with a proper understanding of grace, and so you see in Romans, you know, six and seven, um, the Apostle Paul's writing to confront the church that grace is not your permission to sin not your permission to just live as you please because you've been bought with a price and and you've been called to a life of righteousness so um grace is not the permission to just um you know basically cater to your your selfish whims and then you know but then you have the opposite struggle in the book of galatians where the apostle paul's confronting the fact that they've forsaken grace and they've become very legalistic. They've become very heavy-handed in how they apply the truths of uh, God's design and desire. And so, you see, in the early church, there was this back and forth confusion about an understanding of you know how to hold grace in both hands and enjoy it in the way that it was intended. And so. I think history is just a continued reflection of going round and round over almost all of the topics of the scriptures, grace being one of them. You go round and round over the authority and inspiration of scripture. You go round and round over, um, you know, uh, giving and tithing. I mean, it's just, again, that's the nature of human beings left in charge of, you know, a sacred... Um, entity we're we're gonna we're gonna complicate it mess it up Mm -hmm. and um, so yes there's well it's interesting if you look at like um, the seeker church movement of the last 25 30 40 years it's always been uh, accused of offering a cheap grace presentation like just come to Jesus love Jesus His grace is sufficient he'll forgive you for everything that you do um you're great you're awesome and um he loves you no matter what and so there's been this accusation against the seeker movement that in in their interest of you know winning uh people far from christ winning them to the church and to its message that they've you know played quick with grace and as a you know kind of critique or in opposition to that then you have people saying no there's a there's a huge cost in following jesus deny yourself take up your cross follow me and being a christian is not easy and you do have responsibility and accountability toward the choices that you make regarding how you're going to live and and um there's always a few voices in every generation that's that's holding out for uh, the opposite of what seems to be prevailing. So if cheap grace is prevailing in one generation, there's always a few prophetic voices that are saying, no, it's costly to follow Jesus and it's hard and it's not about you and you have to make the sacrifice. And then what will happen is the pendulum will swing to the opposite side and pretty soon what we'll find is there's another generation and what they'll do with it is they'll make it this legalistic, hard-nosed, sacrifice, carry your cross kind of message, and that will, that will prevail, that'll be predominant. And the, the preachers who kind of get all the, um, the accolades and the recognition, they'll, they'll be um, affirmed for being hard-nosed. You know, they're the ones who stand up and call their generation to something bigger and more noble. But in time, that'll become abused. And it'll start to feel very legalistic and heavy-handed. And then in that, that generation, there'll be the few voices who you know, call out for grace again. But that's not, that's not new or unique to this generation. That's been happening since the church began.
0: That does it for this episode. Come back next week for part two. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Sibilo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at cibolocreek.com. Thanks for listening.